Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. The Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. The week's most interesting interviews with senators, commentators, and newsmakers. Giving you a replay just in case you missed it. The Guy Benson Show. With us now is Carl Rowe, former Deputy Chief of Staff and Senior Advisor, President George W. Bush, author also of The Triumph of William McKinley. He's a Wall Street Journal columnist, a Fox News contributor, a very busy guy. Carl, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. I would like to get right out of the gate just an overall assessment. You were a senior presidential advisor, as I just mentioned in your bio. You were tasked, among other things, with having a sense of where the presidency was, where the country was, and trying to make the presidency of George W. Bush as successful as possible. You are not on the inside, obviously, with this administration. Opposite party, all sorts of differences. However, you still have those political instincts. You can still get a sense of where the winds are blowing. You look at a lot of data. We are now in December of the first full year of this new president and the job that he's been doing so far. What is your overall assessment of the state of the Biden presidency? Well, it's in trouble. Um, they came in with the ability to do lots of good things, and um, instead they made a mess of it. And, um, you know, whether it was COVID, where they uh, said, you know, we're going to get it all done by July 4th, whether it was Afghanistan, where they said we're going to pull out and it wasn't it brilliantly executed, to inflation, which they've ignored, to the to the crisis on the southern border where they put Kamala Harris in charge and have a tone deaf and I mean when you have the Secretary of Homeland Security unable to tell you tell a committee member how many encounters there were by ICE personnel Border Patrol personnel in the previous month with people trying to cross the border illegally you got a guy who's out of touch so I look at this and say. He came in under, after conducting a campaign that was very simple and powerful. I'm going to be normal. The guy who's in there has bungled COVID. I'm going to do a better job of it. And I'm going to find a way to bring together Republicans and Democrats and restore some sense of normality to Washington. And he's done none of those things. And what he has attempted to do, he has done badly. Um, you know, take, take, you know take, take the supply chain issue. This is not new. We've seen this earlier this year. Those boats were stacking up off of the California, the Southern California coast six and seven and eight and nine months ago. And, and even today, you cannot tell me. They said, we're, the supply chain is a problem. Well, what the heck's your plan? And, and who's in charge? It, it certainly is not the Secretary of Transportation. He took maternity leave. Granted, he's entitled to it. But normally when a cabinet secretary says, I'm stepping away from my job for a number of weeks, they designate somebody to operate in their stead. And he didn't. And besides that, what has he done to tackle the supply chain issue? What's the Secretary of Commerce 
uh, done to t- tackle it. The Secretary of the Treasury is trying to stay as far away from it as possible. What well, Br- Brian Deese, the National Economic Council guy, we, we haven't heard a peep from him on the issue for months. So who's in charge? Is is the president thinking ahead on these things? Is his chief of staff thinking ahead on these things? Is the White House policy structure trying to stay ahead of these issues and saying this is emerging as an issue? Who's in charge? What do we need to do? I, I don't get a sense of it. Meanwhile, you mentioned the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. Someone that you didn't mention is the Vice President, Kamala Harris, but there has been quite a lot of buzz in D.C., and I know you've probably gotten wind of it, Carl, in the last couple of weeks, really. Some hit pieces, some leaks about Kamala back and forth, the Vice President. She's unhappy. She's feeling underused and not supported. And then other people saying, well, she's she's unpopular. And, you know, she's a little bit toxic and the Democrats are worried about her. Might they try to replace her if she's you know, going to be a front runner in 2024? They might already be feeling some anxiety about that. Buttigieg obviously still wants to be president, seems to be telling people that maybe not so quietly because the whispers are loud enough that it's getting written about. I'm just a little bit surprised to see that much internal turmoil and palace intrigue what is it, 11 months into the presidency? They're not even done with the first half of the term of the current president, right? They're in year one of a four-year term, and already there's a lot of jockeying happening ahead of 2024. That doesn't seem like a, a terribly healthy work environment over there at the White House. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, first of all, let's let's be honest about it. All this talk about uh, Joe Biden running for a second term in 2024 is baloney. The Democrats are not going to nominate an 82-year-old fella who's lost a couple of steps to lead their party until he's 86. That just is not going to happen. They know that that would be a sure recipe for defeat, but he's not going to get better by 2024. He's going to get worse. You know, this is a demanding job. There's a reason why people come into that office and leave it with their hair four years or eight years later gray and with with their faces, you know, with a lot of fresh lines on them. It is a demanding, tough job. So he's not going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. And it says something that his hold on the, on his own administration is is diminished so much that already you have two things underway. One is an open sort of, you know, sharp elbow uh, effort to get ahead of, uh, of themselves on the part of Harris and Buttigieg, with Buttigieg being the offender, the principal offender here. What he's doing is not helpful to him, certainly not helpful to the president that he serves, not helpful to his party. Sure, be ambitious, but at least be subtle about it and be behind the scenes. Don't be out there literally talking to people about it in such a way that they get re- anything you say on that subject is going to be repeated to the New York Times or the Washington Post. The second issue is to think about it. The shots taken at Kamala Harris came from the West Wing. They came from the, 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 the staff of the, of the President of the United States. Yep, and, and they're firing and, back, right? It's, it's within the administration. Yeah, not a pleasant place to be, I bet. Let's talk about 2022, which is much closer than 2024. We just saw what happened in Virginia and New Jersey and elsewhere. I'm convinced that if the midterm elections were soon, like within the next few weeks or even the next few months, I think it would be a blowout for the Republicans. But we are still not quite, but close to a year away. A lot of time between now and then. Many things can change in politics. What is your read on what happened this past November, Carl? And how are things 
teeing up for 2022? And do the Democrats have enough time to turn this thing around? Well, they don't have time to turn. They, they have time to improve their position, but they don't have time to turn it around. I mean, think about this. Um, in, in, in the history of our country, since the emergence of what we call the second party system in 1818, there have been two instances where the White House party has gained seats in the, in the House of Representatives uh, in, in, the, in the first midterm, 1934 and 2002, twice, twice. Uh, and if you look at it, uh, you know, the, the Democrats are not in as good a position to start with as the Democrats were in 1932 or in uh, the Republicans were in 2000. So um, approaching the midterms. So that, and there was 9-11, right? 9-11 was such a black swan event that can very yeah. much help explain what happened in 02. Yeah. And, and having a recession that is blamed on the previous uh, Republican administration helps a Democratic president when, you know, 25 percent of the American population is out of work. And the only guy who seems to care about it and, and, and doing things that are alleviating suffering is the sitting Democrat president who's pleading, I need more help to get these things through, particularly in the Senate. So they're, they're not going to they're going to have an ugly year. The question is, how ugly is it going to be? And to some degree, that's that's dependent upon the Democrats. Mainly, do they run good campaigns? Do they keep a lot of uh, incumbents on the field, particularly in the House? And does the president do anything marginally to improve his, his standing? But the bigger thing that will depend, uh, that, that will affect the outcome in 2024, in my opinion, is the quality of Republican candidates and the quality of the Republican messaging. Are they going to go to the people and say, not just simply, let us be a check and a balance on Joe Biden and his administration, but are they also going going to be able to make a principled case for why they oppose things like the Build Back Better plan? And most important of all, are they going to offer anything that appears as an alternative, positive vision for the future of the country? People will vote for Republicans in order to have a check and a balance on Biden. They'll vote for a lot more Republicans if they can have both a check and a balance and some kind of a positive, optimistic agenda that seems to them, like in Virginia this year yep. with Youngkin, they said, exactly. they said about Youngkin, the guy knows what he wants to do. And the things that he's talking about, improving our schools, making it easier to get a job, keeping our neighborhoods safe from crime, all of those things seem to make sense to me, the voter. And so while I may have even voted for Biden, uh, and I may be a moderate uh, Democrat or an independent, I'm going for the Republican because he's fresh and new and talking about the future. And Terry McAuliffe, he seems to only be able to talk about the past. You just referenced keeping incumbents on the field. For 2022, that being perhaps a priority for the Democratic Party. Well, just today, I saw, I believe, the 19th House Democrat to announce a retirement upcoming. And this guy, in this case from Oregon, is a committee chairman. That's usually not a great sign when you're a party heading into a midterm or any election and a bunch of your people are looking for the exits. I read that that's now more people have announced their retirements ahead of 2022 than we saw from the Democrats ahead of 2010. We remember how 2010 went. Yeah, well, that's at this at, at this point, and and uh, so we still have some a lot of time to go. But it is indicative. Sure. Look, if you're Peter DeFazio of Oregon, and you're chairman of the House Transportation Committee. Do you really want to stick around and be in the minority? No, you're you're going to get out, and and that means there's going to be a contested Democratic primary, going to sop up some money. What's really problematic are are you know John Yarmuth, the budget chairman, same situation, not going to be the chairman of the budget committee after next year, so he's out. What is really problematic is if that spread to swing districts, 
where people say, you know what, I'm, I'm in the majority now, but I don't want to come back in the minority. And not only that, but I'm likely to lose this race. I'd rather get out with my political reputation intact. And, and we haven't seen a lot of that yet, but we have. There, there is the potential for that to happen. I, I do want to strike one cautionary note. I've got a friend who's a political scientist named John Petrosik from the. He was originally at Stanford, was the chairman of the department of the University of Missouri, now retired. He did an interesting study. Remember, one thing is the Republicans did something that was very unusual in 2020. We lost the White House and gained seats in the House. In the right. 19 presidential elections since World War II, the, the, the party that loses the White House has picked up seats in eight out of 19. Eleven times out of 19, they've lost seats. In eight out of 19, they have picked up seats. And most of the time, it's like one or two or three seats. Republicans picked up 13, which I think is the second largest number uh, of seats uh, in those eight elections. So the Republicans have got a head start on getting the majority back. That's why the Democrats only have a five-seat majority. So I don't think this is going to be like 2010 when we pick up 63 seats because we'd lost seats in 2008. And so, right. uh, you know... There's less low-hanging fruit this time right, exactly than there was, you know, on the board last, uh, last time that you mentioned the big blowout, 2010. Carl, last question... There's kind of this ugly battle going on very publicly between two freshman Republican in the House, two women. And when it comes to this particular feud, I definitely am on one side. I'm on Team Nancy Mace. She was on the show yesterday taking her shots at her colleague from Georgia back and forth. I guess the colleague from Georgia went and had a phone call with Donald Trump. Setting aside what you think of this particular skirmish, here's something that does concern me a little bit. Assuming that the Republicans win back the majority in the lower chamber next year, which they're very much favored to do, reportedly, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, called these two ladies in and basically told them to knock it off. You know, enough of the public brawling here. Let's all move on as a team. And the reports are that uh, the backbencher from Georgia walked out of the meeting and immediately went out to reporters to keep trashing Nancy Mace. And then Mace responded publicly. I mean, the attempted truce brokering by the Republican leader did not even last seconds. And that could portend a pretty messy majority for the Republicans if you have members just openly at war with each other and leadership apparently unable to corral it. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, look, I think the member from Georgia, who, when she's not worried about uh, Jewish space lasers starting uh, uh, fires in Northern California so that Jewish-owned companies can engage in fire remediation, when she's not worried about that kind of stuff, the only thing she seems to be interested in is trashing fellow Republicans. And, uh, you know, she doesn't have much to do having no committee assignments. Um, maybe we ought to give her a committee assignment on the Committee on Widgets and Gadgets, so at least she's occupied. But I, I think she is a uh, – her interest is to basically blow things up. And she has no constructive impulse, in my opinion, and deserve every every bit uh, uh, that she gets. Um, um, count me on Team Mace. Carl Rowe, former Deputy Chief of Staff and Senior Advisor to President George W. Bush. His book, The Triumph of William McKinley, you can go buy it and read it, maybe get it as a Christmas gift. He's a columnist at the Wall Street Journal and, of course, a colleague here as a Fox News contributor. Carl, it is always a pleasure. Merry Christmas to you. Let's talk again soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Carl Rowe on The Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour, and we'll be right back. 
That was this week's edition of the Guy Benson Show Sunday Replay. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.